How many people are ready for the word today? All right, so we have been in a message series for uh, kind of through the fall that we've been talking about called Walk the Walk. And we've been coming out of the Epistle of James. That message series has really been sort of a cry, uh, a charge to believers, to the church to say, you know, let's really level up, let's represent authentic Christianity uh, in a world that, that really needs and deserves to see that. And James was challenging a bland and stale Christianity, if you will. In some cases, he was saying there are things that have creeped into the church we need to run out. And in other cases, he's saying be on guard and be vigilant not to allow these things to creep in. Because when believers begin to get diluted in their lives, if I could say it that way, and they blend in with culture, they look a lot like the rest of the world, then there isn't anything that the world can look on and see that's a differentiating factor. And believers, sons and daughters of God, are meant to carry the anointing, carry the blessing in the favor of God that really shines. There's an attractiveness to it. There's a draw. There's something that is different and something that is special. How many know what I'm talking about, right? And so this is maybe something you've thought about or haven't thought about, but one of the ways we do that is we model the fruits of obedience, right? Sometimes obedience can be a process because we're, we're putting to death the flesh, pleasures and temptations, and so there can be an element of that that isn't particularly appealing to the flesh, but when I say modeling the fruits of obedience, God gives us the ability to live out His Word, Right? He actually gives us the power through the Holy Spirit to live out his word. But when we walk in obedience, there's fruit that comes out of that. It's crazy, but God actually intends for us to be happier and more blessed when we obey him and follow his word than if we rebel and do things our own way. Right? That's the, that's the lie the enemy doesn't want people to know. <laughs> he wants people to think to live a Christian life in obedience to God that they're going to be miserable. Well, guess what? That's not true. When we live a life of obedience to God, we're actually fulfilled. We're sustained. We're, we're radiating and emanating the fruits of that obedience. It's, a, it's as if an aroma or fragrance, the Bible says, to those who are around us. So that's, that's been the heart of this series. And we've been looking at a number of things, you know, and saying, okay, when these things creep into our lives, what is the destruction and the havoc that they wreak, but also what are the opposites of these things? What are the fruits, the good fruit and not the bad fruit? So on that note today, we're going to dive into James chapter 5. Open up your Bibles to chapter 5 and we're going to read verses 7 through 11. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another. Another translation says, do not grudge against one another. Lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge 
capital J, is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Today, I'd like to talk to you about the subject of suffering. Suffering. And I'm going to say as I open this up that I, I believe that this will probably challenge you a bit. It challenges me in how my, my mind is kind of trained and conditioned to think about suffering. In fact, the human tendency when it comes to suffering or pain uh, is basically to avoid it, to steer clear of it, to circumvent it really at all costs. I'm not saying there isn't pain and suffering that needs to be avoided or circumvented, but I am saying that not all pain and suffering can be avoided and circumvented if we want to come through a valley in a healthy way. I'll tell you that the, the theology of suffering is a bit challenging when we read it and we see it as the Bible unfolds it for us. It is a bit challenging. Um, we think about suffering and pain and think about avoidance and think about steering clear. No, no doubt about it. Nobody jumps in that prayer line first. <laughs> Sign me up for the suffering ministry, baby. Yeah, that's my calling right there. It's a thin line. It's a short one. You won't have to wait long. But it's interesting. When we see scriptures about suffering, especially in the ones we just read, we begin to see some descriptions that the Lord gives us about it that need to cause us to step back and think a moment. For example, in James chapter 5, he just said the prophets who have suffered, he says they're an example. And he also says that those who endured that suffering are blessed. Blessed, an example for those who suffer well. In chapter 1, when James opens up this letter, he actually says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Joy? <laughs> we got blessed, we got be an example or an influence, we've got joy. How about this one? In Revelation chapter 2, when God is sharing with us about the church at Smyrna that's the persecuted church, you know what he says about the persecuted church? He says, though they are poor in earthly measures, they are rich in heavenly measures, and says they will actually be rewarded with the crown of life. Oh my gosh. We've got joy, we've got rewards, we've got rich We've got blessed, we've got examples. You're starting to get the picture. When God speaks about suffering in his word, he begins to give us a picture that can be very challenging for the flesh. It can be very challenging for the natural mind. And this is what I would like to ask you to think about today, friends, is when it comes to a place of suffering 
or pain because it is coming. You don't have to live very long before you realize as a Christian that the Garden of Eden is gone. That it's just a matter of time before you hit a headwind in life. Am I right? So when that comes, the question is, will it be a holy suffering? Will it be a holy suffering? Will it be fruitful? Will it be meaningful? Because when it comes to pain and when it comes to suffering, we can go in one of two directions. It's, it's not guaranteed that it's going to be a holy suffering or a fruitful suffering. It can actually lead a person into a place of immense growth and intimacy with the Lord, or it can actually lead a person into a deep pit of despair. My heart and my prayer for us today is that we would be a people, I'm not saying that we're ever going to love the idea of suffering, but we would be a people who know how to suffer well with the Lord. Because pain and difficulties in moments and seasons like this in our lives are coming. Let's just say possibly that this topic and this subject could be building up provision for our future. Because the future of the church, we know, while there is an increase of fruitfulness on the earth, there is also a time of great difficulty that comes as the end draws near. Something can happen in a person when they go through a deep season of pain, when they go through a deep time of suffering, but the Lord is in it with them. Something significant can happen. And I want to share you, talk to you about that today. My points that I'm going to go through are really more of uh, a series of questions to think about regarding suffering. So point number one is, what is suffering? What is that? said, often the flesh thinks it's something to be avoided. There are various kinds of suffering that we see in the Bible. There are sufferings that come from physical ailments, like disease and sickness. There are forms of suffering that come from natural disasters and calamities on the earth. And there are sufferings that come from human actions. We can do things that cause to ourselves, that cause ourselves to suffer. We can certainly do things that cause other people to suffer. Suffering can range from anything from small disappointments to significant tragedies in our lives. When we read through the scripture and we see different types of suffering, we see a number of descriptions. We see how people can suffer affliction, suffer hardship, suffer adversity, suffer dishonor or shame, suffer violence, suffer wrong or injustice, suffer terror, suffer shipwreck, suffer hunger, suffer thirst, suffer punishment, suffer loss, and even suffer death. When we read the Bible and you begin to build you know, a, a theology, an understanding comprehensive understanding of theology around suffering, what you'll see is that man, throughout the course of revealed scripture, begins to see and understand suffering uh, progressively over the time of God's 
revealed word, as he's revealing himself to people. You have the time, uh, it's called the pre-exile time, before Israel goes into captivity in Egypt, that's pre-exile. And for the most part, what you see is man's understanding of suffering is, is more or less a foundational understanding, which is that there is suffering in the world as a result of sin, right? Sin entered the world through the fall, we know this, and then the plague or the curse of sin began to enter in, into this fallen world. And so in pre-exile time, man understood suffering as, well, this is a part of, this is a, part of a sin-filled earth. Suffering and pain falls upon the deserving and the undeserving alike. It's, it's part of a fallen world, which is true. You get into the period of biblical history known as exile and post-exile, captivity and then after the captivity years, man's understanding of, of suffering begins to uh, ad, ad, advance and extend. It's building off of, right, God's revealed word is progressive through scripture, so it's building off of the first understanding and then in exile times we see that, that suffering and pain can become a consequence for sinful behavior. That when man begins to disobey God and go in a different direction, that there are, there's pain and there's suffering that we bring into our lives through errancy and disobedience. It describes it in some places as it ultimately leads to the destruction of the flesh. Sin while initially and temporally can seem pleasurable to the senses, it, it, it may taste like honey going down, but in the end, inside, it's bitter as wormwood. You follow? So, so there's this understanding through this period of time, okay, yes, there's just sin in the world because it's a fallen world, but there's also pain and suffering because we choose to go in a direction that is rebellious to what God tells us to do. But then you get into the New Testament and you begin to, to start to see what some things in the old were pointing to and it begins to shift a little bit and we start to see some things in the New Testament where suffering results in rewards. <laughs> All of a sudden we see people who are suffering for the sake of Christ being described as examples. Those who endure being described as those who will receive a reward. We begin to see that suffering, when it is introduced in someone's life, it's not that God brings the, the evil. We know He doesn't do that, but He can use these things and and his wisdom, when he allows things to take place, he can use those pain seasons, those suffering moments, to actually advance his purposes here on the earth. Let me, let me just encourage you with this, that Satan, while he is out for man's destruction, and there is a time that his power is, is in this earth, his power is in fact limited. He cannot go beyond the extent to which God's sovereignty and wisdom allows. In the end, that will be wrapped up. We know that scripture tells us he is aware 
that his end is coming and he's all the more full of wrath because of that. Right? But God says, I, I can use the things that the enemy intends for harm and I can use those for good. But we begin to see that suffering advances the gospel and advances the kingdom. Even in cases where many were martyred and put to death for their faith. Listen to this. Their resolve and their unwillingness to bend on their testimony and their conviction may have resulted in a physical death, but it actually served to pave the way to the advancement of the gospel and of the kingdom. You see, James is not writing to people who are unaware of suffering. The beginning of this letter, he says, to the tribes who are scattered abroad, it's known as the diaspora or the dispersion. They're, they're scattered because they're being persecuted. But it is interesting to think about that in the intense times of persecution, that when men and women held fast to the faith, that the gospel advanced very aggressively and the church was propelled into an explosive growth state. Wow. I'm just trying to get you to understand that we begin to see that God can and will use these things, these times, for His will and for His purposes. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, it says, Recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle by both reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. Now, this may not thrill you necessarily to hear this, but it's truth nonetheless. Suffering and pain is kind of a direct byproduct to a public confession of faith. (laughs) Oh, that, that landed really well. All right. <laughs> he's saying here, he's like, you're enduring sufferings, listen, one, because of your own public confession, because you're willing to stand up for Christ, you're going to be met with opposition that's going to try to bring you pain and suffering to get you to bend the knee, to get you to tap out. Might you get in this? Like the resolve to stay the course when God is not removing the source of pain or suffering in the moment we might be going through it. The enemy says, if I can give enough pain, if I can create enough suffering, they'll just bow out and they won't stay the course. The author of Hebrews is saying, just because you're willing to stand up in the square and say that Christ is Lord and that you are serving him and stand for his ways in the public square and in places of government, I'm telling you, you're going to be met with a headwind. It's coming. And he even says in those verses we read, not just your willingness to stand up and be a testimony, but he says also because you're a companion of others who are. Sometimes things like I can't speak that all fast enough. So I wonder the resolve in in us. I, I wonder sometimes when our companions 
are being drug in the square. <laughs> and we know that if we stand with them, our pain is inevitable as well. I wonder if we will stay the course. That's what I, that's what I was thinking whenever I... <laughs> I wonder if we will stay the course. I, I believe very much with all my heart we're in a day and an age right now where the church, we've got to get strong. <laughs> the resolve and the conviction to stay the course needs to get strong. Mm. Suffering becomes a natural reaction to a strong public witness. But here's great news. Believers must and can live and advance the kingdom even within the realities of suffering. Hmm. That's great news. Mm. In fact, dare I say that there is potentially greater propulsion created by those times in the forward movement. So these views that we see progressively, right? Sin is in the world, so there's suffering. Man sins and disobeys God. He's going to suffer for those things. And then there's suffering that God seems to allow for a time because it actually ends up serving his purposes. And there are rewards and blessings to be found. We have to kind of lay all three, really, of those views over each other to get a full biblical theology about suffering. All of those things exist. Sometimes Jesus does, in fact, choose to stop the storm, right? Sometimes Jesus gets up and says, enough, be still. Praise God for those moments in those times. But what do we do when God's method is to cover us and protect us during the storm? To survive a shipwreck and live to breathe and share the gospel another day. Wow. You see, our understanding of God and our, our ability to go through hard times has to all be reconciled with a God who operates in both types of atmospheres. Does that make sense? Both types of realms. Yes, sometimes he'll calm the storm. And sometimes he'll just put his hand over us and cover us through the storm. Hmm. So the first question is, what is suffering? The second question is, what can happen? What can happen? And I use that word can very emphatically because there's no guarantee that a time of suffering or difficulty will produce fruit in our lives. There's no guarantee of that. You've probably heard the saying, right? Time heals all wounds. It's not true. Sometimes God uses time, but time in itself does not just heal all wounds. Sometimes people just stuff it. They don't deal with the pain or with the suffering and then they, they live a, a kind of a fictitious life because they, they pretend like things are better than they really are. Time in itself doesn't heal anything. God heals through time, but God heals. <laughs> and so it, it can be or cannot be a fruitful season that produces something meaningful 
and future seasons of our lives. And when I opened, I introduced that thought that perhaps we are preparing provision, storing up provision for our future and how we understand and perhaps embrace the idea of tough seasons and suffering. When I was in high school and well, in high school specifically, and played college, there was this coach we had. He was pretty hardcore. He's a great coach, but <clears throat> he used to love to just skate us to death. And we'd get up in these practices, and we'd, we call them mountains. I don't know if everybody ever else, some people call them suicides. or Anyway, so, you, you know, in wrestling, you run to this line and back, you run to this line and back, you run to this line and back through the gym. In hockey, you skate to the the blue line, you skate to the red line, you skate to the blue line, you skate to the other line, you go back, and you just keep doing these over and over and over again. And coaches just keep blowing the whistle, keep blowing the whistle. And he would bring a trash can out to the middle of the ice. And he would say, if you need to puke, go in the trash can, you're not getting off the ice. Yeah. He'd probably get arrested today, actually, but... <laughs> It's cruel and unusual treatment there. Uh, he's a great coach. I'm, I'm actually thankful for him. Uh, here's what was interesting. Every time we went out there, we were like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I don't want to be here. I don't want to. I'd rather be somewhere else. Everything in me wanted to avoid the first 15, 20 minutes of practice. Like the whole first third of practice, that's what we would do. Conditioning. I'm going to tell you something. When it was game time, nobody else could skate harder than us. Nobody else could last longer. Nobody else could get stuck in a minute and a half shift and go 190 to 100% the entire time and not let off the gas. We wore down our opponents game after game. Because something valuable was produced in the difficulty. Something of strength and substance that went deeper than surface got established in us and prepared us for things that were ahead. In those game time moments, we were very thankful that we had the energy and the endurance that we did. Hmm. I think about suffering and I think about, frankly, I know that I have suffered mildly, really, in my life compared to what many people have. I know that. And I've seen people who have suffered greatly and cursed God. But I've seen people who have suffered greatly and praised God and endured. And I'm telling you, the testimony that gets written through the life of a person who can go through great difficulty and hardship and still declare that God is good, though I don't understand. It is amazing not only what is laid hold of by the person, but also what is observed by other people. Have you ever watched somebody go through a great difficulty and walk it out well? That's what the word endure means. It means staying the course 
through the valley, through the hardship, through the difficulty, right? Those, those difficult suffering seasons, man, we go through it and, and God can use it as like a banner of a testimony and praise that impacts the lives of other people around us. Wow. But in the process of being able to do that, here's the thing, guys, is that we are allowing God, listen to this phrase, we are allowing God to redeem the suffering. Hmm. Redeem, which means to exchange something out. It's not automatic, it's not guaranteed. But God can in fact redeem a time of suffering or a season of suffering in someone's life keys, if you will, that unlock a door into something that we gain access to that other things cannot offer us, a divine exchange. There, there are things you see that with in Scripture. There's kind of a divine exchange that can happen in a person's life when there's a willingness to wait on the Lord, seasons of waiting, right? produce things in our lives that other things can't. There's a divine exchange, keys that open, if you will, the, the, uh, during sacrifice, times of sacrificial offering, times of suffering and difficulty. When we go through them properly with the Lord, they can, they can unlock and open up a storehouse of treasure that God is depositing into the soul of a person that nothing else can do. Why is that so? Why, why? I think part of the reason is when we come to a place of suffering, what God asks us to do and what we see in the scriptures, especially in the Psalms, is God asks us, compels us to cry out and draw near. Lament is the biblical word for that, to lament so what he's not encouraging us to do is avoid it, steer around it, stuff it, and pretend like it's not there. God says, when there are times of difficulty, come to me, cry out to me, give expression to the pain and the suffering that you are going through. This is a Jesus who we see over and over, says to those who are hurting, what does he say? Come to me. <laughs> but you got to understand that there is an invitation that's in that. Jesus never, you know, Jesus helped and, and, and came to the aid of a lot of people with a lot of different kinds of hardships, poor people, blind people. Lame people, sick people, people who had lost loved ones. There were a lot of different kinds of pain and suffering that Jesus came and, and began to be there in people's lives for them. But listen, here's what you got to know is that Jesus, there was, there was always an invitation and an openness on the other person's part for Jesus to enter into their life. Jesus never forced himself in there and said, I'm, I'm, I'm getting in that pain with you. I'm going to get in there whether you like it or not, and I'm going, to, I'm going to help you deal with that. He's the one who says, come to me, right? That's what lament means. It means I have a willingness 
to cry out to God. He is the, he is the object of my address. Him, Him alone. Because I am aware that there is an evil in the world and then outside of God, my dependency on Him, no one else in the earth has the ability to fix it for me. Only Him. So what happens in the pain and in the suffering and the difficult moments of our lives is we begin to cry out to God. We, we give expression to what's going on. We, spe- we speak about the pain. God says, come on, I can handle it. Give it to me. I know what you're feeling anyway. Don't stuff it. Bring it out, and we cry out and say, God, this is what I'm dealing with, and I don't understand. But in the process of our lamenting and our crying out, we also say and acknowledge a profession of faith, God, you are a good and gracious God. And we make a vow of praise in the time of lamenting, saying, God, I don't know how, but when you bring relief to me, God, there is praise, there is gratitude that I will sing to you upon the day that you bring me out of this valley. It doesn't mean that we wait to praise until he comes, but it, it means that we are declaring, God, I will praise you and thank you when I've come out of the valley. Ugh, because listen, suffering and pain, it is that. It is a valley. We are passing through. My encouragement to you is don't set up and build a house there. <laughs> it's like a train station. We're coming through the thing. It's going to happen, but please do not build your home there. You know, some people have this kind of false piety, self-righteous view. It's like, well, I'm just supposed to suffer. I'm just supposed to suffer. It's like a vow of suffering and misery and, and a vow of poverty. And, and, and because of that, I'm just more holy. And that's what I'm supposed to do. <sighs> I'm telling you right now, they're the first people to flee when really the hardship gets tough. Right? We, we don't, we, in fact, I love this quote. It says, false religion... Seeks suffering for the sake of something. True Christianity seeks to obey God and as a result meets a falling world, fallen world's resistance, which often results in suffering. Mm. So we're just passing through. But God says, I want you to draw near to me, cleave, cleave to me. In those moments. And I'm telling you today. According to the Bible. That you will unlock a storehouse of treasure. If you can learn. To suffer well. To embrace. The pain that does come. Before God. Moves and does something about it. And display. An example. Someone who stays the course. Someone who continues to praise God even through the valley. Hmm. Let the tears flow. I think the, the, the marveling in the Psalms is not that God immediately removes the pain. It's that the psalmist continues to praise during the presence of the pain and difficulty. Perhaps it's not that we are to try to avoid it or steer away from it. Perhaps it is that during those times we can actually pursue God 
and that he is close and near in a way like other times do not present. There was a power that was released into the earth when Jesus' suffering completed. Do you remember that? The earth shook. There was a power released as his suffering came to an end. And when we go through a valley of pain and suffering and difficulty, and we come out of that, there is a power, an anointing, if you will, that gets released into a person's life that establishes unshakable truths in their soul about God that they can never be rocked from in the future. And it's like Job said it this way. He said, I have heard about God by the hearing of my ears. We know Job went through hardship, right? And passed through the valley. He said, I have heard about God through the hearing of my ear, but behold, now my eyes have seen him. Mm. Laying hold of something that we can, we can lay hold of, that we can embrace and grab that can be stored up in us in a treasury of our soul through these times that we go through that are difficult when we cleave to the Lord in these moments. Charles Spurgeon said, I have learned to embrace the waves that crash me against the rock of ages. So the first question is, what is suffering? The second question was, what can happen in exchange, right? Something redeemed through that. The last question is, what is ahead? What is ahead? We know that ultimately, relief and redemption are promised. And James talks about it with the farmer. He says, it's like early and latter rain. Right, The farmer, he knows that the rain has to come. But he's doing his part. He's still tilling the soil. He's still planting the seeds. He's still going through the efforts. So he's not disengaged from the process. But in the whole time of his labors, he knows God has to bring the rain for the crop to succeed. And he anticipates that coming. You understand lamenting, suffering, going through difficulty. When, when we genuinely go through that in a place of faith. We do not go through it doubting or in despair. We actually go through it from a place of hope and expectation. He says the farmer knows that the rain is coming. And then he says and behold the judge stands ready at the door. According to Scripture, ultimately, the final solution for suffering and pain that's on this earth will not be totally reconciled until the return of Christ. And when He comes, all the suffering and pain will be vanquished and God will welcome us into the fullness of the eternal promise and blessing.
which is that in a time and a place of heaven, there can never be a tear. Think about that. You don't even have the capacity to shed a tear in the place of heaven. There's no sadness, no sickness. But he says this is kind of the hope that has to anchor you, is knowing that ultimately in the end, the judge, the righteous judge, Jesus, he's standing at the door. That means that he has a readiness about him to bring an end and a relief to pain and suffering for his people on the earth. Wow. And ultimately, that is the answer to, to redeem all the pain and the suffering ultimately that will happen. Christians hope in the resurrection. He says in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Wow. This is coming from a man who says, I will not steer away from places and seasons and times of difficulty that can produce advancement for the kingdom in this earth. And church, I think that's really kind of the burden of my heart in this message today is to just say, just to announce, you know, herald truth that there are difficulties that lie ahead for all of us at some point. The enemy would love to cause people to steer clear of places and situations that will perhaps bring them pain and suffering to a degree. I'm not saying that you never avoid bad things, obviously. What I'm saying is that there are times when pain and suffering comes as a byproduct of pursuing God's purposes and plans for our lives. And if a person aborts and steers away, they could very well miss the divine opportunities that lie ahead. That there will be a resolve in the faith of sons and daughters to say, even if I suffer for Christ, the suffering and the pain pales in comparison to the reward and the glory that is promised to me that's yet ahead. And one day, the righteous judge, he will appear and he will reconcile all injustices once and for all. Hallelujah. Once and for all. And that enemy, that devil who loves to bring destruction and heartache and despair into the lives of God's people and into the entire world. One day, the Bible says, is that he will be thrown into the lake of fire as well. And he will be vanquished from the presence of God and his people in an eternal kingdom for all of eternity. Game, set, match, baby. This thing is ending with God's people coming out on top. And there needs to be a hope and an anticipation and a joy in our lives that says, even if the rewards and the blessings 
come to me beyond this side of eternity and, and in heaven, maybe not even in this life, that certain things get lifted, that certain things get pulled away from me. I'm not looking at the lesser realm. I'm not motivated and driven by lesser, tangible, transient, fading things that the world tries to give me. My walk, my purpose, my drive is anchored in the trajectory of where I'm headed and what's promised to me on the other side, I will stay the course. I will embrace the keys of pain and suffering if it's part of the journey to advance the kingdom of God through my life. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I, we always like to ask at this time, at the end of the message, what is the Holy Spirit saying to me? What is he saying to me? Certainly. Even through this message, the Holy Spirit is probably speaking to people. Someone here today, I'm willing to bet, was probably even just praying about or asking questions or struggling with certain things even this week and saying, God, I don't have an answer. I don't have a solution. I don't know what to do. Even through this moment, the Holy Spirit was ministering to you, almost as if an answer directly to your prayers and to your cry. Be encouraged if that's you, dear heart. We serve a God who always sees us and who always hears us and is ever ready to come to our aid. I can't guarantee you what the means of His provision be for you but I can tell you with certainty that if you will cleave to him and draw near to him not pull back dare I say actually press in even deeper than before that even in the mysteries of unanswered questions loving God who will soothe your soul.